following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. Good morning. Good to see you all. Happy Independence Day, 4th of July. Uh, I was going to wait a minute, but I'm going to... No, we're going to pray right now. So let's pray before we get into the Word. Heavenly Father, wow, we wake up another day, God. Thank you. Bless you, Lord. Bless your name. Father God, we are just so, so blessed to slow down right now. Let's take this time, Father, to just give you worship and praise for who you are. You are our creator. You are our provider, our healer. You are our way maker, our promise keeper, and our light in the darkness. God, you are everything. Help us to just remember that as we go through this service today. May we take it with us when we leave here to give you glory and praise through our lives that others might see you for you and for your glory. Father God, I pray that I would be a vessel to bring a message of hope and freedom and truth simply for you and your glory, Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord God. You are my rock, our rock and our redeemer. Lord Jesus, you have come graciously. You took hell for us and we give you praise, God. King of kings, for all you've done, all you're doing and all you're going to do and we just thank you. Holy Spirit, speak through me today. Touch the lives that need to be touched in here today. You know who they are. Bless your name, Lord. Thank you for the independence and freedoms we have in this country. May we never forget that. And those who served, those who gave all, from the very beginnings of this nation to this very day. But let us also remember even more so the celebration of freedom we have in Jesus that can never be taken from us. We just give you thanks. We give you glory and praise. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, One Nation Under God is the, the message today. See the question mark. That was intentional. It's not a typo. Today we celebrate Independence Day. Without a doubt, one of the greatest celebrations in our nation brings expressions of patriotism people that are citizens non-citizens people who are trying to become citizens this is the greatest nation in the world we remember those who fought for freedom all the way back to the revolutionary war all the way through the wars and and, and the battles that are happening right now We, we celebrate that those men who stood up to the mighty British and those who fall for freedom ever since. Does that work? 
staticky. I don't want this. Do I get to turn this off? This one off? How's that? One more thing to hold on to. So we celebrate those men and women who are protecting our freedoms right now. The freedoms that we take for granted every single day. America is the most freedom, free nation on this globe without question. It's the most prosperous. It's the most wealthy nation. It is truly the land of the free and the home of the brave. I pray it always will be. When the pastor asked me to do this message five years ago, <laughs> honestly, we're out of town a lot this time of year, but uh, truth be told, God has blessed this nation abundantly ever since its inception. Some will argue when that actually took place, 1607, 1620, 1630, it's all in that same area, but there's a there's a, a, uh, an underlying theme. Where did God fit into that equation? And it was very important. The freedoms of their religion was a very big part of those who came here to start this nation. Now some might argue, critics would say, well, America is this, it's an eyesore, it's imbalanced, it's, it's festering. And sure, flip on the, the news, and it's all bad news. Today we're going to take a closer look at whether or not this nation can still say we are one nation under God. And instead of an uh, question mark, having an exclamation point. I'm going to give you two perspectives, a historical one and a, li a legal one. For those of who know me for some time, you know that my background was in the law for a long time. Still is, kind of, sort of practice law, uh, political science, history, and I teach for the last six, seven, eight years those very things, world history, American government. And so I believe that uh, through prayer and petition that this is what the Lord brought to me today. The foundational verse for today is Psalm 33, 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Simple, powerful. We sing and we pray that God's blessing will be on many, that this nation will have favor with God. So let's examine that very notion. Is God our Lord of this nation? So from a historical perspective, we'll look back. And that term itself, one nation under God, actually is part of our Pledge of Allegiance, which is under some controversy at times. But let's be real. The term under God was added in 1954. It did not exist in the pledge. It actually was put there by our president, Eisenhower, to lay a shadow on communism, which is a godless philosophy. So some might say that that's never been a part of our nation. But this nation's enjoyed blessings beyond, blessings beyond our imagination over the past two centuries. As I've mentioned, the greatest economic, political, and cultural power. 
more people share the gospel from this nation and abroad than anywhere else. We've seen high standards of living that we can't even imagine compared to some places in this world. Praise God for that. So you go back to 1607, April 29th. It's a special day for two reasons. That day, and my wife was born on that day. <laughs> Not 1607. <laughs> we clarify that. You can feel the burning right here. There was something burning right here. I'm not sure. I don't even have to look up. But there was a group of settlers that came from England at that time, and, and they landed what is now known as Prince Henry in Virginia. It's called the place of first landing. They put a wooden cross. And shortly thereafter, they left there and went to Jamestown, which gets a lot of you know, notoriety as being the place where this country started. Some believe it was strictly religious freedom that they were after, but that's not exactly so in the first few years because those were all members of the Church of England. It was later. The Church of England became the Church of England because the king, King Henry, wanted to get a divorce. And the Catholic Church said, you can't do that. So time went by. We'll come back to that in just a minute and look at some historical notes. But we come forward to the 1700s when the break away from England was more than just the tyrannical government, but also from the Church of England and their control. The freedom and the separation of church and state was to avoid that church from being the church of this nation. Not to be separated from God. Let's be clear about that. They did. They were just very controlling. There was not freedom in Jesus like there is today. So let's look at some of the early Protestants that followed Martin Luther and John Calvin and were persecuted by that Church of England because they were separating from the Anglican Church. Went to all throughout Europe, including parts of Netherlands. As I mentioned, why the start of the Church of England was so that he could get a divorce. We know that the Lutheran Church and the denomination and the other Protestant denominations still have some aspects of Catholic doctrine that they follow. But they've separated in other ways, including who can actually take control of the Bible. We are take that for granted. We have it on our phone. The word of God is at the fingertips. But prior to the 1500s, only the elite, only the clergy could hold that precious book. And they liked it that way. We can't even imagine that. Puritans, separatists, were persecuted. Queen Elizabeth I, who was the daughter of King Henry, anyone who opposed the Church of England was going to be persecuted and even possibly executed. So they fled, as I mentioned. And now comes King James. King James in the early 1600s, he took the throne from Elizabeth. That's the King James Bible. That's where it comes from. 
Many people still read it. I'm not saying don't. But most of these Puritans, these separatists, were reading the Geneva Bible, which was 50, 60 years prior to that, during the Protestant Reformation, during the disbursement of a Christianity that was separate and distinct from the Catholic Church and the Catholic doctrine. But King James' intolerance towards those individuals forced them to leave. So we know that story a little bit, right? Every Thanksgiving we talk about that. That's important. That mass-produced Bible for the first time through the Gutenberg printing press that was historic. Don't tell me God didn't have his hand in that. So they arrived in Plymouth Colony around 1620. We know the story of the pilgrims. These are the Puritans. They created their first government, the Mayflower Compact. But the first and foremost thing in that time of around 1620 was not God. He was important. But it wasn't until several years later, around 1630, when a group of Puritans, and on that very boat was a preacher by the name of John Winthrop, and you may have heard of him, Winthrop University. He preached a sermon that gets a lot of notoriety called the Model of Christian Charity. And it goes like this. We shall be a city on a hill, The eyes of all people are upon us, so that if we shall deal falsely with our God in this work, we have undertaken and so caused him to withdraw his present help from us. We shall be made a story and a byword throughout the world. This is taken somewhat from the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said, You are light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And some would argue that he purposely twisted that but the fact of the matter is you must pay attention when he says if we shall deal falsely with our God he will withdraw there are places in this nation where God is withdrawing I believe and we need him more than ever And as I mentioned, the American Revolution came about and some of those founding fathers were considered to be deists where Jesus Christ wasn't necessarily their Lord and Savior. But there were Christians who had a Christian worldview and Jesus Christ was their Lord and Savior. So separation from the tyrannical government and separation from the the Anglican Church, that in and of itself was to be praised. They also fought for legal freedoms. When the Constitution of the United States was created, and this comes from my history, government, background. There was two groups that fought, not literally, close, but the Federalists and Anti-Federalists, and they were fighting over the Bill of Rights. And what does the First Amendment give us? Freedom of speech and freedom of expression and freedom of religion. It was important to those founding fathers as much then as it is now. Freedom was not free. The Revolutionary War cost many people their lives. And we'll talk about those signers and what they actually went through after the fact. But we know that some of those founding fathers had some amazing things to say about God, who he was, and the Christian values. 
So let's take a look. George Washington, for example, his quotes, While we are zealously performing the duties of good citizens and soldiers, we certainly ought not to be inattentive to the higher duties of religion. To be distinguished character of patriot, it should be our highest glory. To add to the more distinguished character of Christian. Amen. Our second president, John Adams, in a letter to Thomas Jefferson of all people, I will avow that I then believe and now believe that those general principles of Christianity are as eternal and immutable and as the existence and attributes of God. Been here a long time. I've never actually seen that happen. And those principles of liberty are unalterable alterable as human nature as our terrestrial mundane system. Thomas Jefferson speaks about the gift of God that these liberties were. James Madison, the author, the founder, the father of our Constitution, speaks about the Ten Commandments in glowing terms and the fact that these are things we should aspire to be. Benjamin Franklin, for all his faults, said, I believe in one God, the creator of the universe, and that he governs it by his providence, and that he ought to be worshipped. Patrick Henry, an anti-federalist who's famous for give me liberty or give me death fame, says it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation is founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no two ways about that. And this one, I really, this is not one of our founding fathers. This is a philosopher and a teacher from Europe, from France, by the name of Alexis de Tocqueville. He toured around the world, and he wrote extensively on these things. And around the 1830s, he was on American soil. He made this amazing observation. I have toured America. I have seen most of what you offer. I have seen the riches of the fields and the wealth of your mines. I have seen your industrial might, the beauties of the rivers, the streams, the lakes, and the grandeur of the mountains. I've noticed the abundance of the forests and the marvelous climate in which you're blessed. In none of these things did I see the cause for greatness of America. It wasn't until I went into your churches that I saw the reason for America's greatness. America is great because America is good. And as long as America is good, America will be great. If it ever ceases to be good, it will cease to be great. I would say that Alexis de Tocqueville was on to something. And I can go on. Frederick Douglass, a staunch abolitionist, even his opposition to slavery and the issues of the time, stood up and speaks glowingly of our founding fathers. Abraham Lincoln was very clear in some of his statements about being willing to, to give himself over to make sure that he is on God's side. And President Ronald Reagan at a prayer breakfast in 1984, and this one really resonates with me, and hopefully you too. Without God there is no virtue because there is no prompting of the conscience Without God, we're mired, mired in the material, that flat world that tells us only what the senses perceive. 
Without God, there is a coarsening of the society. This is 36, 37 years ago. And without God, democracy will not and cannot long endure. If we ever forget that we're one nation under God, then we will be a nation gone under. Deep. That's deep, bro. And these men were not perfect, but they had Christian values. And some of them were staunchly opposed to removing or limiting Jesus Christ and who he was. Freedom from tyranny was worth celebrating. There's no question. But that's not all we're celebrating today. Freedom because of the power, the love, the mercy of God, the grace of our Creator, that is to be celebrated even more so. And what happened to those men who signed that Declaration of Independence on July 4th, 1776? They knew what was at stake. They knew that their lives were at risk. Many of them died as a result. They were considered traitors. They were captured. They were tortured. Their kids were in the Revolutionary War, and they died. Their homes, their furniture, everything they had was burned, ransacked. Not all of them, but many of them. It was a great cost. And they knew when they signed that line on that declaration that that was a possibility. Freedom was not free. We hear that, but I think we're a little bit maybe coarsened to that idea. So we've seen the foundation of this nation. We've seen that it's 400 plus years ago that this happened. But what do we see today? There's a, a, a gap between some of the, the desire for righteousness. Proverbs 14.34 is very clear. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. The word righteous goes back to the, the root word to move in a straight line. Used with reference to morality, righteous means living or acting in the right way. I imagine everyone in this room can think of things right now that are going on in this nation, maybe even in your own life, that aren't righteous, that aren't acting or living in the right way. And who sets the right way but God? It's His standard. History confirms this over time, that true greatness is not based on intellectualism, political structure, military, population size. No. It is righteousness. Whether a nation's conduct is in accordance with the standards of God and according to his moral guidelines will determine the greatness of any nation, this nation. And that is something that we need to pray about deeply. Holy Spirit, help us to live a righteous life according to your standard at any cost. We see the decay in our nation. We see out-of-control violence. We just went through the walk of life and, and our brother Jerry sharing those statistics. Abortion is rampant. Idol worship is at an all-time high. We've seen the removal of remnants of God and scripture from schools and courthouses and 
many aspects of life where God is simply being removed. Not to mention shameless, capital S, behavior. We see Christians unwilling to come together even in to serve and glorify God, to address some of these unbelievable issues. How in the world are we going to have a revival if the Christians, the believers, don't come together? That's me talking. Pleading. We often hear, God bless America. Okay, we hear that great song. Actually, there's two. Lee Greenwood has his famous song, and then Chris Tomlin has one that's just amazing. God bless America. But is that a statement or a request? God bless America? Or God please bless America? Are we taking it for granted how blessed we are? We know God has certainly blessed our our nation. We've talked about that. The wealth, the prosperity. And what John Winthrop feared in his sermon about God pulling out, do we see that? Not to mention, let's look at Romans chapter 1. Now, this is not on my slides, so sorry about that, but not really. So if you have your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of righteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to their parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Wow. I've read that verse many times. But in preparation for this, whew, hurts my feelings. You can go into the Old Testament and you can see Israel doing the same thing. Can we make the comparison to what happened in Israel and God pulling out to what's happening in America today? 
I think we can. Constant rebellion. No, I don't want you to all get sad and think this is a, just a downward spiral that I'm going to keep on. For a little while, maybe. That was the historical perspective. Now the legal side. There's a case to be made. And I want you guys to imagine that you are in the courtroom of God. And that if you can envision back here a bench, this is a bench trial, no jury. And God of all creation is the judge. The prosecution is the world. And we, the people, the body of Christ in America, are on defense. This is the trial of the century. God of all creation versus the people of the United States of America. And you know where this is headed. Because I just gave you time and place. So let's begin. Opening statements by the prosecution. And trust me, this is not meant to be trivial. But let's put it in the context of something we know. The prosecution claims, this is the world now speaking. This is the enemy. The claim of one nation under God did not exist until 1954. Natural rights of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness have very little to do with God. Americans pursue the American dream in spite of God. And of course, let's not forget sin, violence, crime, abortion. The people of the United States want the best of both worlds. They want a savior, but not a lord. They like comfort, easy living. 200 plus years since this nation began, they forgot the cost that it took to create this nation. They're guilty of violating that creed of one nation under God because you can see it every day. Sin and evil is rampant. They forgot the holy standard of God appointed themselves as God in many aspects of their lives. So we ask the sentence be guilty. That that creed no longer be considered one nation under God and that they be separated from God. That is the world's hope. Now the defense will come in. This is the body of Christ. Somewhat blinded, I would say. The evidence is clear. This nation was founded on godly principles from the time of the earliest settlers. God's been a vital Influence in the establishment of society in America. There's been mistakes, yes, but we're working toward a more perfect union, as our founding documents say. The people accept that we're sinners, that we are generally good people, though. We do good works. We fought and continue to fight for freedom from oppression at home and abroad. We try to be nice, sometimes. Isn't that good enough? Defense would argue. We are still one nation under God. And that's the perception of many. So now the case in chief comes forward. The opening statements are done. God has heard both sides. Let's look at our verse again. Psalm thirty-three, twelve. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people whom he has chosen as his heritage. This nation believes they've been chosen. Have they? Or do we just live like that? We've done a good job of ignoring that principle, says the prosecution. At every turn, people may have 
made the God of their nation everything else but the God of the universe, God of the Bible. Even within the church, there's conflict and disunity, just on basic principles as to who God is, who Jesus Christ is, and what the Holy Spirit can do. Is it any wonder there's a decline in righteousness? If we look at Proverbs 13, 6, as defense, as prosecution would point out, that righteousness guards him whose way is blameless, but sin overthrows the wicked. Where is that righteousness in our nation? Psalm nine seventeen, The wicked shall, shall return to Sheol. For those of you who don't know what that is. That's the abode of the death. Of the dead, sorry. Essentially hell. And all the nations that forget God. Wickedness is all around us. Back to Romans 1. Verse 20 to 21. For his invisible attributes, namely his internal power and divine, divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. They should have an exclamation point on that one. Just my opinion. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. There is no excuse. We can look around, especially here in this area, and see God's glory everywhere we go. How can we not be moved by that? But where is the honoring of our Creator? In the last couple here, we have heard this many times, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Do we really recognize that? Do we recognize that God hates sin? Does our prayer include, Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours? Or are we just glad we've got a Savior and we move on? Deuteronomy eight seventeen to 20. Bear with me. Beware, lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He might confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Obedience. And you can't know what to obey unless you're in the scripture. But I think we can fairly say that not in this room necessarily, but outside in our mission field, many have forgotten who God is and what he's capable of. And we take for granted what he's given us. And lastly, the prosecution will present the Ten Commandments. Shall we go down the list? I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other but me. There'll be no idols. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. We know that Jesus Christ is our Sabbath rest, but do we keep it holy? Honor your mother and father. 
murder, adultery, steal, lying, coveting. How's that working out in America right now? Especially even in the Christian church. Prosecution rests. Defense steps up. Shudder me. The Lord wants us to prosper. He has great plans for us. His word even says so. He wants us to have hope. He loves us. Nothing can separate us from his love. America surely has shown its love through the many churches that it has. There are many crosses that are displayed. All the good news posted on the billboards. Social media. Hats. Wristbands. I think besides that, if I was defense counsel, I might take the fifth right about now. He quotes Jeremiah 29, 11, which we all know. But let's take a closer look. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Not for evil. I think people just skip right past that. I'm speaking to myself too, by the way. Make sure that you understand that when I'm going through this and the, and, the, and, the, and the angst that I have in preparing this is the fact that I struggle to even stand up here. But the reality is that I'm looking right in the mirror. But God, God does have plans for us to prosper. Romans 8.28 And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. We just trust that God's working things out. Kind of almost put our feet up. Romans eight thirty eight thirty nine, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor thing, things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's powerful. Do we really believe that? Do we trust it? Is it because we're in the word? Because we're humbled by the fact that we have another breath? Or is it simply because we like what it says and we're saved? I'm good. Defense rests. That was a narration, by the way. The last part. Closing arguments in this case, this trial of the century, prosecution cites Isaiah 10, 1 through 4. Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees, harsh and abusive, and the writers who keep writing oppression, to turn aside the needy from justice and to rob the poor of my people of their right, that widows may be their spoil, and that they may make the fatherless their prey. What will you do on the day of punishment in the ruin that will come from afar? To whom will you flee for help? And where will you leave your wealth? Woe to them. Unfortunately, America has twisted God and Jesus into a version that we're comfortable with. We've molded him into our image. And the image that we want in many ways. People profiting from a false teaching human, self-centered message instead of the truth. 
We've forgotten the sacrifice of our founding fathers, except for maybe on a day like today. We've forgotten that the greatest reward is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Many Americans like Many American Christians, like all others, have forgotten that they must be born again, a new creation. This is a spirit thing. It's not just say a prayer and then keep your fingers crossed. And it may cost them a great deal when they come out to the world and and make that proclamation that, yes, I am a follower of Jesus Christ and I am willing to go daily and follow him, even if it's to the cross. Many Christians don't like that. It's uncomfortable. And don't seem willing. Let's look around the world. We see people in jail for being Christians. In places where Christianity is not allowed. People hiding under tables just to have Bible study. Unwilling to be bold right now in this nation for Jesus Christ. It's clearly missing. I'm not saying go out and get in an argument. I'm saying in love, we have to proclaim and be willing to stand up and stand out. The prosecution says, we are no longer a nation under God. And we have violated that creed. And then the defense will come up and they will give their closing arguments and say, Americans truly believe in God, His Son, and Holy Spirit. They believe that God wants them to be happy. What's wrong with that? People seek to be relevant to the culture. And we've done a really good job. We know God loves us. We live out our lives knowing that. Sure, we take some liberties. We may even abuse grace once in a while. But we ask for forgiveness. Right? We have so much going on right now. It's really hard to spend time with God. And to understand his message. Besides, times have changed since the 1600s. Simply being relevant to the culture does not violate the creed of one nation under God. And they rest their case. Now who gets to deliberate? Our creator does. Not because he has to. He rolls out research that says less people are going to church. Even Christians, among Christians, they're not willing to get in community with other people and, and, and be the body of Christ. Church attendance is declining across demographics and denominations. Abandoning the nation under God, little by little. Polls of high school students, over 90% of public school students have never been to church And we see the evil, the crime, the sneakiness, the stealing, the violence, abortions. You see, justice is a hard issue. And when we pray, we better pray for mercy. Because if we get justice, we don't want that. It's a law of God issue. And not that he has to, but God from the bench would say, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. And I'm purposely leaving out the back end of that verse. 
But he, God explains clearly obedience, the Holy Spirit. We need more of him and less of us. And he closes his eyes and he picks up a gavel that's about ten times this size and he says, guilty. Guilty. And sadness is starting to enter in. But imagine, if you will, those doors right there in the back of this courtroom. And there's a man walking through. And I think some of us might recognize him. And he's not some soft character. He's strong and sturdy. And he is walking towards us. He's strangely familiar. There's chattering. There's murmuring. We recognize who he is. Some are overwhelmed to tears because of who they recognize him to be. The volume of this courtroom increases, increases, increases. People, are, their jaws are dropping in awe. They can't believe it. It's Jesus. And he comes right here and stands in front of this courtroom before God the judge. And he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he proclaims, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And God says, somebody's got to pay. I hate sin. And Jesus demands to take that sin. And we know that story. The courtroom is aghast because they've just been found guilty. They can't believe what they're witnessing. Mercy entered in when justice was due. Hope and freedom entered in through no help, no fault of your own, but because of one man walking through that door. God in His mercy rules in favor of this arrangement. The penalty of sin has been paid in full. The courtroom becomes raucous. Now, Jesus turns to the people. He turns to each one of us. And he starts to cite scripture that we need to hold deeply embedded onto our hearts. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that, he, that the world might be saved through him. We all know that. We need to be reminded Isaiah 61, the Holy Spirit is with us and guiding us. 61, 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And John 14, 24 through 26. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. The word you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things and bring to you your remembrance all that I have said to you. Is that not worth celebrating? 
Are you kidding me? The Lord is with us. Psalm 118, 5-6 Out of my distress I called on the Lord. He answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? To emphasize how free we are, John 8, 31 and 32. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Today's about freedom. Let's get it right. Romans six eighteen, and having been set free from sin, and having become slaves of righteousness. And there's some other verses that are on the slides that I'm going to let you guys look up. And they'll be on the sermon notes for you to do that. But reminding us that it is by grace and faith and not works that there's nothing we can do. We don't deserve it. And praise God that He gave it to us, that He had favor on us to draw Him close to Him through the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2, 8-10 through 10, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We need to take it seriously, what he's done for us. We need to abide. We need to seek righteousness. And we can't do it by ourselves. It's the Holy Spirit. Let's not forget, if we are truly saved in a new creation, it is through that Holy Spirit. And praise God, and in my world, my upbringing, the Holy Spirit was always kind of the stepchild off to the side, not given much respect. Well, Father God and Jesus, but the Holy Spirit, it's everything. It's our connection to Him. Holy Spirit, wash over us. Invade our hearts and our souls. And lastly, Jesus turned and He said, go into your mission field. Take my words. Take my gift of grace. Be thankful, be grateful, and go. Matthew twenty-eight eighteen to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Praise God. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. We've been given great freedom here in this United States. We have to thank God for that. Each year, more and more people are getting farther away, however. The Word of God and the Gospel message. It's our responsibility to share that message. It's our responsibility to go and to be a light on a hill. To be seen. Because we might be the only window to Jesus Christ that people will ever know. And we shouldn't take it for granted just going across First Avenue South or whether we're in some foreign city or country that we are standing on a hill. And God is listening. 
I pray this prayer every day. Second Chronicles 7.14 If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Amen. But what do we have to do? Humble ourselves. Seek His face. Turn from our wicked ways. Are we willing? This day, Holy Spirit, help us. Move us. Praise God. Now I've got some questions for you to take with you today. Why has America moved away from its godly roots? And I'm not singling anybody out. I'm saying America. Have we forgotten God as Scripture warned us against? Do we not take it seriously? Think about that. Pray on that. Pray that He will open blind spots in your life. Because we all have them. Things that we think we got it covered. That's why many people don't come to church. I'm good. Listen, we need each other, man. And I've said this before. If you know me, Pastor Collins shared this with me years ago. Who am I that I don't show up here on Sunday when I can? Because it's not about me. It's about him. And it's about you. Because who am I to possibly, maybe, not share a kind word and possibly withhold a blessing from you? Oh God, don't let me be so selfish. We know that the founding fathers took great chances to create a free nation at great cost. We know that our Lord Jesus took the wrath of God upon his shoulders at great cost. We know the disciples of Christ suffered greatly for the cause of Christ. You can go down the list. I won't do it. But every single one of his apostles, except for John, died a horrendous death because of who they were and what they stood for. Crucified, burned, stabbed, pierced. Clubbed to death. Horrendous death. But every one of them was proclaiming the word of God and Jesus Christ. Ask God to reveal blind spots Ask the Holy Spirit to invade your heart and your soul. Ask Him to help you follow Jesus daily, even if it's to the cross. Ask Him to fortify your soul, to strengthen you, to be willing to stand up for righteousness of God. Be a part of the solution to put this nation back up on that hill, to be that light. Before I go, Does anybody here who does not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, if you don't know him as Lord and Savior today, let me take this opportunity right now to tell you that God loves you. He wants you. He loves you. He's fond of you. He desires your relationship with you. He does require that you confess, that you recognize you need a Savior. If you're willing to make that intentional, heartfelt commitment today, then do it. 
I'm not going to say raise your hand or stand up. But if you need prayer, if you want this to be the day that you give your heart to Jesus Christ, then I want you to come up and talk to me and we'll pray later. Today's the day. This is your Independence Day. And for all of us here, maybe we need to recommit. Maybe we need to get back to the, to the grassroots of our relationship with Jesus. That's okay. He's not going anywhere. But don't wait. Today's the day for you as well. Because the freedom that we're looking for comes only from a relationship with Jesus. We have great freedom in this United States. Let's celebrate today. Be safe. And as I finish up here, and our worship team would make their way, let us celebrate the freedom we have from sin, from bondage, through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let us never forget and take for granted. And back to our foundational verse. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Let's get back to that. The greatest blessing we bring is not technological. It's not intellectual, economic, or anything like that. We bring the gospel of Jesus Christ. The hope of this nation and the world. And that is the greatest blessing. That is truly worth celebrating. Praise God. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.